hello there welcome to the second season of the one question podcast if you're watching this on youtube you definitely know that this is different from our usual podcast or my usual podcast um the first season of the one question podcast was uh just to be a podcast where i get to ask ask some smart people just one question and usually they answer it within you know 10 minutes to 20 minutes so they're very short from a podcast and that worked for a while because i was able to explore different kinds of topics we talked about businesses project management um careers dating books and i was able to do that for t- the first 10 episodes and after that i took a break because i needed it <laughs> and um now that i'm starting again i'm thinking of pivoting to doing it a different way this is going to be done in different ways um uh first of all there's going to be the video version where if you are more used to the video uh to watching video you could you know watch it on youtube and if you're still the auditory kind of person you could you know listen to it on your favorite podcast it could be um it could be on spotify or uh, apple or wherever you listen to your podcast so another thing that's going to be different is the fact that i won't always have guests okay hear me out the one question podcast was about asking smart people smart questions but it was more about a question right this was more about getting answers to those questions and i discovered that sometimes i actually find out these answers for myself before you know before i bring on guests sometimes i go on google and i just you know google some things and i'm like oh yeah that's how it works or you read a book or sometimes you know the wisdom just comes somehow and you're like oh yeah i, I figured that out so i'm gonna be doing that i'm gonna be like exploring different ways to answering these questions because it's more about the question this is less about me or the guest it's more about getting answers to those questions you could argue that i'm doing this because i'm lazy and you'll be right but i also think this could work so um i hope you stick along and we get to find answers to different questions and uh, it's not just going to be me asking these questions either i want um just in case you listen to these and you have a question that you think i could answer or a guest on my show could answer please leave it in the comments you could do that by going to the anchor uh, channel of this podcast and just you know, leave a comment there or if you're watching this on youtube you could also leave a comment below and i'm going to be reading the comments and then looking for the best questions and then either bring a guest on to answer it if i don't have the answer or if i've read a book that covers that or i'm just going to be sharing my opinion as well like of what i think uh you know of war i think the answer is I may get it right, I may not get it right, but the most important thing is that the question will be answered. I promise you that. So, for this first episode of this 2.0 version of the One Question Podcast, I'm going to be talking about pivoting because, you know, I just did the same damn thing. So, I'm going to be bringing someone who has experience with pivoting, because I feel like that's what is done almost all his whole life. So 
Um, he, his name is Gene Cardiwale and he's the CEO of Kudi.com. Wait a minute, and we'll be right back. Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast. Okay, so I kind of already introduced you as the CEO of Kudi.com. And, um, but yeah, I really want you to like introduce yourself as well. Like, you know, give me a few phrases about you. Like, if I ask you at a party and I ask Yinka, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, go. <laughs> okay. Okay, so my name is Yinka. Um, I'm co-founder and CEO at Kudi. Um, what we do is we make basic financial services accessible to millions of Nigerians that are largely within the underbanked or unbanked demographic. And how we do that is by building out an agent network, uh, which pretty much is a store that is quite close to where, where they live or they, you know, their businesses are. That serves as like a bank branch. So you can go in there to make your payments, um, withdraw cash and pay bills. That's, that's what my day job is. And then I watch Netflix at night. <laughs> yeah, I watch Netflix too. Well, I'm not I'm not as rich as you are, but yeah, that aside. But actually, <laughs> I brought you here today to answer <clears throat> the question of pivoting. Like, um, basically, okay. because I'm trying to pivot this podcast, I was like, okay, who, who can I bring on to actually answer the question of pivoting? Like, you know, the, the kind of why... Why do you pivot and what do you like how do you go about it and why how do you know when it's right it's going to be uh the question is pivot but it's going to be a lot of sub questions on diet okay. um first of all okay. what does pivoting even mean within the context of a business like i'm sure when you use the word pivot in just like the normal grammar it could mean different things but within the business context like for example Kudi, as an example, what does pivoting mean in that context? Okay, so um, so for us, right, one of the the key things we we said to ourselves or we said to ourselves in the early days of the company was that we were building the bank for the future, and uh, and I, I think pivoting sometimes means you just finding it the fastest way to achieve your your mission so for us it was simple while we were trying to build the future of banking as it as it sounded um we and the way we thought about it that was you know mobile apps um all very digital transactions end to end from onboarding to like you know performing your transactions was going to be digital but the more we looked at the data um and the first thing we realized was, so for example, we had about 10,000 users that signed up on our first iteration, which was a chatbot. Um, about, I think about just about 30% of them had even performed the transaction with their cards. Uh, card payments was really, really painful online as of 2017. Um, we we're still having as high as 50% success rate on transactions. 
So on one end, the experience was just really bad for, for the customers. And there was also like a huge trust problem. People didn't trust online platforms to put in their cards um, and you tokenize their cards basically because for the experience to work, you have to put in your card there. Uh, you can't add it every time. And we then realized that if we were going to really build the kind of future that we were talking about, we need to be able to reach the mass market. And even for bulk, bulk of the banks, the biggest banks like GT Bank, for example, at the time probably had 5 million customers. Nigeria has a 100 million adults. Um, if you think about it from that, that standpoint, and even in the 5 million um, bank customers that GTB has, there's probably just about 30% of those guys that have tried digital channels for their transactions. People just walk into the bank branch. So for us, pivoting to you know an agency model was, was like the first next step um, into achieving our mission, which means that let's bring the bank branch closer to the customers because we, we were too further along in the future in our first iteration. And we basically just walked a, a bit backwards, um, for the lack of a better word. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting because it seems to me that the very idea you had from the beginning, like building a bank of the future, that did not change. Like that was not, that didn't change at all. It was just the way you went about it. Like, okay, you realize that mm, we're too far along. Let's bring it back a bit to the reality of things. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yes, that's correct. That yes. <laughs> okay. So that means the um like so it's just that means pivoting could be just like the model of the business and also what do you think can happen with the idea? For example, if the idea didn't work, could you like still pivot the idea as well? Yes, so um most times I think people you know, pivot their business for, for different reasons. The most that I have seen is a question of sustainability of the business. So um, if, for example, you, um, you're trying to build a business, which means it's, it's beyond just like passion, um, you have to be able to hire the best people. Um, you have to build the best products. And for you to be able to do things like that, you need you know, resources one way or the other. Sadly, you know, we need money for things. You can either get the money by either raising external funding or you can generate enough cash flow to fund these things. Um, but the challenge most times is that if the idea itself isn't, isn't good enough or isn't sustainable enough, it's tough to get external funding or even generate cash flow. So most times, right, people try to find maybe like, for us, it was like a different iteration of the same idea. But I have seen, you know, companies like, I, I think Slack was once a gaming company and basically realized that they had these widgets um, within, you know, the game that people were using to, they saw a lot of usage on that and basically pivoted into a messaging application. So it's, it's possible to see, you know, a almost like 360 degree turnaround in like the idea itself. Uh, but most times it's because people need to find sustainability because at some point, even if you're funding this from your, you know, from your pocket, from your, you know, income and all of that, um, to make it like a successful idea, you need to be able to hire more people. Um, and those, that comes at the cost. 
at most times people try to find the best ideas that can that can just bring that kind of cash flow and allow allows you keep keep innovating. Hmm. Okay. Um even though you did pivot into the agency banking, you still kept the coody chatbot. Like that was still there. It wasn't as if like, okay, um, this is too far into uh, the future. We are gonna scrap it. But you like you left it there and then it's like, okay, let's see do something that is like closer to reality. Why still living that? Like why? Why didn't you just say, okay, yeah. you go, let's focus on this because this is sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so uh well it's still there. I, I still use it for my transactions. Um mm-hmm. I, a couple of people still use it as well. I, I think for us we um we know that at some point um in the future the I would say very the consumer markets or the consumer payment markets in Nigeria or in Africa generally, it's still going to it's going to move a lot faster than it was in twenty seventeen when we first launched. So it was always important to to just leave it there and see what behaviors you know we we get from that, and also because the cost of leaving it there is inconsequential um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, the last time we we wrote any code that touched that product was in twenty seventeen. Like it's basically auto running. There's no engineering resource on it. Um, it's it's like nothing has changed on that code base since twenty seventeen nothing absolutely so it's it's very it's like very low cost the cost of us keeping it alive it's you know and i think it's it's something that we we laugh about actually that you know it just works maybe the reason why it works is because there's not enough usage on it and all of that um and so but i think it's two things one the cost of living it keeping it alive is is very minimal and the second part is just we still want to be able to like you know, test that idea again, you know, maybe sometime this year, sometime next year. And, you know, not killing it gives us that mileage, you know, gives us some mileage when we decide to do that. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. But that does that mean that you don't even, I mean, you don't put any engineering resource into that, but what about marketing? Do you try to push it as well to make sure people like try to use it? It's just like, it's an autopilot all around or just engineering? The interesting thing is that you can't even find a link to get you there. <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? But people still find it. Um, you can't find it on our website. You can't find it on any of our pages. Um, sometimes one of the reasons why we also left it there is so the, the way our product works largely works on two channels. We have a mobile app and we have a point of sale um, application. And there are certain scenarios in which you know the devil just shows up and the mobile app is down or the POS is down and our customers still need to actually move out their cash. So it's so one of the usage usage we see is that in days when there's like, you know, everywhere is red, because that stuff is always going to be online. We're just going to drop them a link and say, oh, you know what? Log in on chat.coody.ai and then you can move your cash out of you know our wallet. Um, and that helps. So pretty much, yes, we do not invest in marketing we do not invest in engineering nothing um yeah absolutely okay um but okay right now i'm on your website and it says you've got kudi chatbot you've got something called savings and dash like agency is still like the core part of the product 
but you still have these branches of the product like they're not um I wouldn't say that like, you know, there's some part of financial, like it's not so out of what you do, but you also have, did you pivot into this or are you just like testing ideas to just see how it works? Same with the chatbot, like, you know, the savings, the dash one, uh, dash um, product. Like is pivoting the approach okay, here yes. or just like experimenting on stuff? So I think that um, startups are largely made, um, it's largely a, a, a laboratory actually to, to just experiment stuff. Um, and for us, we're still, we still experimenting even though we're four years in. So we built, I would say like our, the core of our business, right? Which is stable, you know, growing, generating cash flow. Um, but when we think about the future, right? When we think about how do we move from where we are right now to probably 10, 10x our revenues over the next maybe two years or three years, um, we need to be able to find ideas that 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 bring that kind of cash flow. Because the way, because of the type of business Kudi is, largely our success is is not determined by we're not a social media application right <laughs> we're a financial service so our success is not even determined by the number of employees we have it's by revenues largely it's about how much cash you generate so and you have to be able to like experiment and if you're trying to really build a big business that probably potentially could could generate a hundred million dollars in revenues a year right you probably would have like different product lines um that that basically make up this this revenue business. Um, one of the interesting models that I've seen is um, the way businesses are built in in Silicon Valley versus the way businesses are built in Africa and in like emerging markets generally. Um, you know, there's a book I read once that was talking about two types of tree. I think it was the Sequoia tree, and there's there's another tree. I think it's Bayesian. I, I'm not sure whether I got the name right. One is a really long tree. Um, it's very long, and that's how businesses are built in, like you know, Silicon Valley, Europe, and all of that. You basically have one product, and you nail it, right? And that product can scale to um, who knows, two billion dollars in revenue. But here, right, you need like you see these Bayesian trees. They are like very short trees, but like but they make a forest, right? <laughs> so if you look at the company like Intersuite, Intersuite is one of the biggest businesses in financial services. They have about eighty six products. I know that at least out of those products, there's about 40 of those products that actually generate serious cash, right? So, and, and it's the nature of our market because, you know, our GDP, um, no, there's not enough customer base sometimes that can, can make you the kind of money you want or the kind of success you want. So when you build your product, there's also so much problem. So think about building an e-commerce business in Nigeria. You start with building a merchant business. At some point, you're going to roll out a logistics business. At some point, you're going to roll out your own payment infrastructure because all of those things just don't work. And then you can build so, those things so well that at some point, you're like, I'm going to outsource my, I'm going to commoditize my e-commerce business or my logistics business because we've actually built a really great logistics business. And then you start to serve other customers that are not even buying on your on your website, right? And then you basically could generate two revenue lines from that, your e-commerce business, your logistics business. At some point, you're going to say, you know what? Our My merchants are struggling to finance their, 
their inventory and I'm going to run, you know, a financing product. Then you become a lender, right? You start lending to these guys. Then you've, you, you've got the lending business. So pretty much in like 10 years, right? You could have like 10 businesses that are probably generating $10 million each in revenues a year. And that's pretty much like the, the tests you see on our website. It's ideas that we're testing out. Uh, some of them are not even on the website. They're all cash generating. Some of them are even profitable on their own end. And then, so once we try some of these experiments, sometimes we lose a lot of money on some of these experiments, to be fair. You try again. Eventually, when you get it right, you then scale it up. Hmm. It seems to me that, like, basically, maybe because it's an uh, emerging market, you basically have to fill the gaps. Uh, when you see a gap and no one is filling it, you do it. I mean, I think it's something that is, um, I mean, maybe in Europe, because someone has already do it, can just like plug into their service. But in Nigeria, most of the time, you basically have to build these things and just, so it's like pivoting and experimenting and just seeing what works. But you still have the core of like what is driving the business, like you know, the 20% of the business that's bringing like the 80% of the revenue, like. That sounds awesome. Yes. Awesome and also like, you know, tedious because uh, I don't know. I think, um, okay, basically, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the cost of pivoting now. Like, I mean, because you had like at least some cash flow too, but before, uh, would you say like someone that doesn't have the cash flow that you, you do, like wants to pivot, like, how can you make that decision rationally, like knowing that? You think this other way of doing things could be better um, because maybe you saw some data, you think people would like it. But that could also be the cost, you know, the engineering cost of it, the business cost of it. How do you make that kind of decision without basically killing your business? Okay, Does that so, make sense? Um, fun, yes, that, that makes sense. So fun fact, uh, 2017, for example, we we that was our first year um, in the business, right? And largely, we didn't generate any revenues. It was almost like zero because uh, we didn't have enough transactions. We were even offering some of our services for free. So um, income was like negative, right? And But towards the end of 2017, we had started to experiment this agent approach. Um, but the challenge was that we were also running out of cash. So I remember vividly that I had emailed all our investors that um, it was obvious that if we keep growing at the rates at which we're growing, um, there's a word that YC says, are you default alive or default dead? And the whole idea of being default dead is that if investors do not bail you out, are you, if, are you keep growing at the pace that your business is growing? Are you going to break even before you run out of cash? And then we, we did our model, if we keep growing at the pace that we're growing and our cost stayed constant, we won't break even until we run out of cash. And then you die, you know, literally. So I emailed all our investors and I'm like, we're going to die in like six months. It's sure, like there's no, there's no way, right? But you know what, we're going to try different things. And we experimented shit ton of things. And it wasn't even just the agent business. We tried to build a remittance business between Ghana and Nigeria. We tried to build a, you know, a, an online store for merchants to sell. Like all of those things, you know, didn't work out. But the agency one seemed like it was going to work. And I remember that by February 2017, right, 2018, we had come from not generating any cash from 
the whole of January to probably making about one, one million to two million a month in revenues. But we then needed cash because we were running out of cash, right? We needed cash to then hire more people. The business also is like working capital heavy, which means that you have to pre-fund the banks to be able to, to perform transactions here and there. And I emailed all our investors and I was like, oh, it seems like you know, we found something that's going to work. And but hey, we need like a million dollars extra. Of course, like no one really took me serious. They're like, yeah, right. That's that's what you said last time. <laughs> so, so I think to be honest, there's really in my experience, there's no, there's no one way to do it. What what we eventually did was that we basically told our investors or all the investors that we were talking to at that time that we had found something that was going to work. But the thing is that they are not going to believe you. So what you need to do is that you need to figure out this, a, a way to do it still, but keep them updated. So it's like, I send an email to investors December and be like, hey, we lost a $1,000 this month in, you know, in payment fees. We didn't make any money. You send another email in January and I'm like, by the way, we made $3,000. You send another email in February and say, we made $6,000. You send another email in March, you say you make $15,000 by, by, I think September or October 2018, we were generating like $100,000 every month in revenues. So of course, like everyone was going to take us seriously. And all the investors that we were talking to at that point were just like, oh shit, like it seems it's working. And they were going to invest. So the, 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 I feel like the lesson here for me is we always kept the investors in the loop when it was bad and it was good. And I, and I think that that's a principle that I have learned because I think investors hate bad news. So always make sure that, you know, they don't want to find out after six months, always make sure that you, you, you tell that story ahead. But if you do not have cash at all, like it's, it's difficult to be honest, um, you have to still figure out a way to fund those experiments one way or the other, whether it's, whether you're taking a personal loan, whether you're getting money from friends or early believers or angel investors. So I would probably find angel, angel investors that are, that are willing to take a, a bet, right? So that I can build out this product and, you know, put some cash on marketing and all that. And once it starts to work, I then start to engage, you know, the bigger investors that can then probably put in like some serious check to then get this off the ground. Okay, so okay, one last question, maybe, maybe not last, but like once you uh, pivot, I mean, and you think this idea is going to work because you believe it's going to work, like the first thing you first have is like an idea, or you have this little set of data, you think it could work, and you believe in it strongly, and you go after it. At what point do you d decide, okay, maybe this is not? maybe this is not it this is not what we expected for example you said you've got all these um uh other channels of experimentation like when do you decide to like take one of your experiments seriously like what data do you look out for what do you what makes you say okay this is it okay so um so the first thing is when we when we have a theory that this is going to probably be big, right? For us, uh, if it's an experiment, the question really is that how much more revenues can we generate from this in, in a space of 12 months, right? And if there was a theory that, you know, or a principle that this could make at least $1 million in revenues a year, 
then it's worth pursuing. If it's not going to make a million dollars a year, we're not going to do it at all, right? And it's probably because, again, the stage that we are as a business, um, we wouldn't really like pursue ideas that we think will not be big enough. Um, so once that, once it passes that test of, oh, can you, can you make X amount a year from this? And the way to really do that for us is that we know how much average we probably generate per transaction. And then it's a question of how many transactions can you, you know, process a year from this type of product. Uh, once that's there, the next thing is that who is the best person to execute this, right? Who is the best person that can build this idea? Uh, who has done this before? And then we go and look for that talent. Um, it's easy because we have the kind of cash to do that. Most times when you are starting, it's, it's tough to make that kind of decision. So you have to, so in 2017, I used to do this myself. Uh, so I, I would probably move to Kenya or move to Ghana to go and run those experiments myself. And, but if you can afford it, you know, I would say find the best person that, that can do this. And once you find that person, right, the next thing is to set what's like a success metric. Um, if this person, you know, was doing this. So it for us, we'll probably create a budget and say, oh, we're going to put X, you know, amount of money in the space of like six months to nine months on this project. And this is what we hope to achieve. And then we're going to track like every month um, for the next six to nine months. And sometimes by the end of month nine, you actually fail. Like I remember there was a project we ran last year. Um, the budget was about $100,000. By the end of month six, it was a failure actually like you know all cash gone and we didn't try to analyze that actually why did he fail you know was it because the idea wasn't viable or was that we didn't run it well and we realized that the idea was still valuable but the person that ran it basically didn't run it well so and then we started again right then we created another iteration of the idea and found a way to do it a lot cheaper and find, found someone else that could do it a lot more efficiently and right now, it's it's not even on our website, but it's one of the projects that we're running. And I, I strongly believe that it's one of the things that's going to take us closer to what our vision is. So I would say that for me, it's jumping into like that idea, either yourself or finding someone that can best execute it. Uh, if you cannot afford to, to hire someone, definitely you have to do it yourself. So I have founder friends that will move to like Egypt for like three months because they think that there's an idea in Egypt that they want to test and their business is going to succeed. I've seen people move to to Senegal to go and do stuff, right? Um, and then, but once before you, you're even going in, you are also trying to say what's like the litmus test, you know, if I get X number of users, if I get X number of interactions. And sometimes you don't even get that. Maybe you only get 50% of that. Um, I don't think it's enough to say it's not working. It's like, why did you then get 50%? Maybe you dropped the ball on a few things. Maybe some assumptions were wrong and tried to tweak again. And sometimes I will have a go at it again. And if it doesn't work, maybe like the second or third time, you know, then I could then say, okay, maybe it's not right for this time. And then keep it, archive it somewhere. And who knows, it might still be valuable or viable in the future. Hmm, that's very interesting. Like, you know, this litmus test, uh, making sure to just make sure you're on the right path. And actually, I read somewhere that um, entrepreneurship is like, you know, is a cheap way for even the government to test what ideas work and doesn't work. And it seems like, you know, pivoting is how um, even startups try to do that, you know, just to test as quickly as possible because, you know, you don't want to 
waste money and you don't want you don't have like you no know, these limitless resources or the time to figure things out it has to be i really like the fact that you said you know three months six months nine months you know it has to be time bound and budget bound and uh, metrics bound basically yeah hmm. that's very enlightening yes hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to, you know, teach me all this stuff and uh, all the viewers and the listeners, all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this has, this has been fun. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening or watching this. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, for everyone listening or watching this, um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully this uh 2.0 version of the one question podcast would be better and um to pass the litmus test that uh you already you know highlighted so <laughs> fingers <laughs> crossed okay um until next time um uh, bye-bye my name is Bisaya Yoli. bye-bye